0: Thanks for pressing play, swimmers and swammers. I'm Garrett McCaffrey, and with us today is the head coach of the Tulane Women's Swimming Team, Leah Stansel. This is the Swim Swam Podcast. Thank you so much for making time and joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me. Yeah.
0: So I want to start, and we're going to get to all sorts of coaching topics and stuff, but your swimming career is where I'd like to start. Um, And going all the way back, uh, give me an idea of how swimmers typically get into the sport uh, in Barbados.
1: Um, So swimming is actually part of the curriculum in schools. And so um, my parents put me in swimming. My sister and brother, who are older than I am, um, they swam, but my sister's 10 years older. My my brother is nine years older than I was. And so my parents, my father always said he put me in swim lessons to prevent me from drowning. Um, so that's how I got into swimming um, from four, I think I was about four once I started um but in school in primary school and secondary school swimming is part of the curriculum in Barbados and so that's kind of how it continued
0: got it um and at what point did you realize that it was something that you're you're pretty good at it, it was there a time in your young career that um mm-hmm. success struck
1: um yeah not probably not until i was about 12 Um, Up until that point, I was one of those swimmers that went to, you know, those eight and under swim meets and, you know, jump in the pool, get their last and jump out of the pool and go into the kiddie pool and play like there was not very much care. Swimming definitely was more of a social place for me. Um, So it probably wasn't until I was 11 or 12 um in the region is called carifta carifta is a regional meet uh, where a number of caribbean islands compete against each other and when i was about 11 or 12 i believe a swimmer like got sick or something and so i just they happened to pick me to go as part of this relay um and so in the relay itself apparently i went last and i passed Whoever people were ahead of me, and I out touched them, so that was kind of the beginning of the end for me, where people were like, "Wait, she can actually swim! Like, she's a good competitor." And um, and so from then on, I kind of was on people's radar, um, but probably not until I was 15, I had competed at another regional competition called CAC, Central American and Caribbean Games, and a coach had recognized my talent and told my parents that he can get me to the Olympics and so that's kind of when I after I finished secondary school I moved to Trinidad and I trained for 96 Olympics.
0: So that would be the equivalent of graduating high school secondary school were you 18?
1: Yes no actually at that time I was 16. Okay um, so in the Caribbean you do CXC. we're under the British system so you do CXCs and you essentially finish everything that the NCAA would qualify as finishing high school. Um, but to go to school, like in England or Canada, you go on and do a levels, Um, and that is until you're 18. Yeah.
0: yeah. So then, um, in your transition to Trinidad and Tobago as a 16 year old moving away from home, um, for this sport, things probably got pretty serious. I take it and success yeah. followed pretty quickly. Right
1: yeah so um after a year and a half so i moved there in september of 94 and olympics was in july of 96. so it was a relatively short period of time of training that i did um and so i competed at 96. i finaled and i placed fifth in the 53 and 12th in the 100 free back then it was prelims and finals and finals was um you know regular finals and then uh, consolation finals so I competed in consolation finals for the hundred and then the finals for the 50.
0: And uh, that was the first time uh, that an African-American had made the final in the 50 freestyle um, and f- it was first time that a black woman or just any African-American peer or any black person period sorry not African-American that's the wrong term but uh, um, had made, Caribbean had made the um, final.
1: So no, actually, the lady from Curaçao had made finals in, I don't even know what year it was. Maybe um, I'm going to butcher what year it was, but she from Curaçao, but at the time she swam for um, Holland because Curaçao was part of Holland. Um, So she was the first to final in um, an Olympic event. Um, But I was the first for Barbados to final in an Olympic event.
0: Got it. What did, what did that mean for, I mean, your, your home country and what kind of reception or what kind of, you know, feeling did that give you um, to, to be able to kind of break that barrier for your country? And, and you know, at such a young age, reach the, the top of the sport.
1: Yeah, it was, um, I think at the time, at the time I was 18. So I, honestly, I don't think I understood the significance of it. At the time, um, now that I'm older, now that I have three kids, you know, for me, I, I can only imagine one of my kids doing that, the amount of pride that I would have um, with them accomplishing that. Um, and so what I know now versus then, it, was, it, it is still very important to me and, it, and I am very proud of that achievement. And I think I become um, more appreciative of it as I get older and older. And my kids, my son, who's 14, he Googles me all the time, so he really doesn't let me forget it either,
0: so. Good, <laughs> Good. he shouldn't, as he shouldn't, that's really cool <laughs> that he takes pride in what mom did too. That's
1: he does, he awesome. does.
0: So after the Olympics um, in 98, when, when did you start at University of Florida and how did college swimming kind of come on the radar, I guess is my question.
1: Yeah, so I left abruptly from Trinidad and Tobago and so um it's a it's a funny story. At the time, it was uh, Barbados is part of the Commonwealth and at the time I was deciding, my parents and I were deciding, do I go and I move to Australia to swim and or do I look for another option? And it just so happened at the time um Coach Greg Troy and Coach Wilby were leaving bowl school and they had seen me compete a number of times at international competitions. And a friend of mine was attending bowls and she was the one that told them that I was leaving. So because it wasn't very well known that I had left uh, my previous coach. And um, so the rest was history. So for me and my parents, it was Florida or Australia. (laughs) Like Three-hour flight versus halfway across the world, Um, so that was a pretty easy decision, Um, and it was comforting for me because I had met Coach Troy and Coach Willie prior to that. So that's kind of how. But I really didn't understand the process. I, I think that the Caribbean has gotten better, but at the time, it was not very common for a Caribbean athlete to go to the U.S. to train, especially directly after. Um, directly from um, being in the Caribbean. So I really didn't know the process. I didn't understand the process. I just kind of went with the flow and that's what ended up happening. I ended up at the University of Florida. I hadn't even heard of Gainesville, Florida. That's how bad it was.
0: (laughs) I mean, I guess it probably continued to be a little bit of a transition from there too, adjusting to college swimming um, adjusting to college. Uh, you yep. know, what was that like?
1: Um, it was interesting. It was the good thing was because I had been away from home since I was 16. The part about being away from home wasn't too bad. Um, but I think just the culture change of just the Caribbean culture and American culture, um, you know, initially me being the only black, athlete on the team for me wasn't that much I didn't honestly I didn't really notice it until people brought it to my attention you know I'd get questions how does it feel to be the only black person on the team and at first I was like I didn't even notice until you brought it to my attention um but I had a great time I I, I loved I loved being at Florida I loved my teammates um so it was it was it was a great
0: experience and did you feel embraced by that team culture pretty cool oh
1: yeah definitely most definitely um yeah we had a great time I'm still close to a lot of my teammates and um it's great
0: so if you could think back to your swimming career so Leah as the swimmer um it, what defined success for you oh goodness as
1: a swimmer mm-hmm. um I think as a swimmer I was making best time I think that was what I would def- would have defined being successful just you know the being focused on on the times yeah
0: well then long course at florida um wasn't any faster than what you were coming in correct
1: um honestly (laughs) i hate to admit this um honestly i had no clue i i really did not know um i think that was a weakness and a strength of mine which was I kind of just had blinders on in terms of what I was doing and and did not probably do as good of a job as I could have done. And being aware of what was happening before me, after me, um, I just tried to focus a lot on what I was doing and yeah. in terms of swimming performances.
0: And right in front of you, there were so many little carrots where you were getting school records and, you know, NC2A times and doing all of the great things that you did as a collegiate swimmer. And I was only asking because now as a coach, it's so hard um, when athletes hit a plateau and when those times aren't coming as best times. So I was just curious you know you had at, before you even went to college you had been in an olympic final <laughs> so yeah, you'd yeah. already been to the top of a, of our mountains so to speak for the, the sport of swimming and uh i guess it would it would just be hard um after working i'm sure incredibly hard through all at college um you know if you didn't get back there
1: yeah and it it w- it was but i think Actually, before I started at Florida, I had um, some shoulder issues, so I hadn't trained as much as I probably should have before I started at Florida. So Florida was actually kind of like a second career for me. It was like a clean slate. I was starting over new country, new team, new experience, um new location. So for me, my experience was a little unique in the sense that I was starting over without really starting over if that makes sense. it was a mental start over um and so yeah and the one hand it was disappointing um not to necessarily do my absolute best time that i had done but i did do best times in like my hundred but it but again it was a transfer to doing college swimming which was short course yards which i had never done before so that was a whole new avenue of everything um so it's still exciting.
0: Yeah. So last question as the swimmer and then I'd like to transition to more of, you know, the coaching discussion. Um what made you more successful or what what would you say the difference is in your second career and the success that you reached um versus as, you know, the athlete that you were um you know 18 and under and the success that you had at that portion of your career, how would you kind of differentiate the athlete between those two?
1: I think I probably, as 18 and under, I wasn't very aware. I just kinda was just existing, to be honest. I was just going through and doing what I was told and-
0: Is that naiveness part of the strength? Yes,
1: yes, yes. And in college, I think I was more aware of, of, ev- of everything. I, I just had a, a, a different perspective. I'd gone, I had already gone through a very stressful situation, a, a very difficult, physically difficult situation. Um, my coach in Trinidad was very hard on me. And so, you know, when you go to a school that you're surrounded, and I, I was by myself too, I I, relatively I may have had one or two other people when I was in training for Olympics, but at Florida I had this huge team. I had this, you know, this group, as I mentioned before, swimming was a social outlet for me. And so when I was in college, it was fun to have all these different people around me training, going through, you know, you know, training at Florida was no easy situation either. Um, but compared to what I had previously experienced, it was so much better. It was, it, was a, it was a better experience for me. And so I think I just had a different perspective because of what I had experienced before.
0: You know? Did that recognition of what the difference in coaching can do inspire you to become a coach?
1: Um, it's funny you ask, because I actually became a coach simply. Originally, I wanted to be a sports psychologist. So my experience before college had inspired me to be a sports psychologist because I wanted to work with athletes to help them mentally prepare for competition and, you know, to get the most out of them from a performance perspective. Um, So I was doing my master's in sport and exercise psychology, but unfortunately my dad passed away. And so I couldn't afford to move on. And the only thing that I felt like I could have, like, was qualified to do was to coach so that's how I got into coaching so my intention was to coach for a little bit and then go back to get my PhD to do sports next to do sports psychology but then during my year of coaching I realized I can help athletes even more especially swimming athletes even more as a coach so I stayed in it and so that's how I ended up where I was where I am
0: Yeah, it's a great story. It's a great story. And pretty much right after it. So it wasn't right after your Florida career that you were on deck coaching. Then there was a little gap. Help me understand that timeline.
1: Yeah. So, um, I graduated, um, and I started grad school, actually in grad school. That's where I met my husband. And, um, during my second year of grad school was when my dad got really sick and he passed away. And so, um, so while I was finishing off my thesis, I was dating my husband. I moved to Savannah, and that's where I coached at SCAD, Savannah College of Art and Design. Um, and then I don't know why I did this, but I finished off my thesis. I defended my thesis. The whole time I was planning my wedding. We went, we got married, and then we moved to South Carolina. Yeah. So that's kind of how. So there's a two-week break where I was doing my master's, um, in sport and exercise psychology, and I still kind of um, was around the team and and kind of helped out a little bit there, but nothing official, official. Um, but yeah, so did I was you, in Gainesville.
0: Did you move to uh, Columbia for the job at South Carolina, or yes,
1: yes, I did. Yeah. I did. How,
0: I did. And how was that moving and getting you know being in a major conference again and uh, competing in the SEC and being at South Carolina, how was that as a young assistant?
1: Um, it was great. It's funny just talking to you, it makes me think of it. it was a similar pattern to preparing for Olympics. As a young person, you're not really understanding the significance of it, the, the magnitude of it. So for me, moving to South Carolina, it was I don't think I understood the magnitude of it being at a power five school, being at an SEC school. Um, for me, it was just exciting because I got to coach at me. I got to continue coaching at a bigger school, but um, I don't think I looked at it as a power five school or an ICC school. I just looked at it as being very appreciative that I was able to continue to coach.
0: How do you think your swimmers would have described you as a coach back then at South Carolina?
1: Oh my goodness. Probably the same way they'll describe me now, which <laughs> which is very, I have, I have been described as, um, very upfront, very honest. Um, yeah, I think that's probably how they would describe me. Mm. I think I don't, I, I need to, I can do a better job of not, of sugarcoating things. I tend to be, I think, I think that's the Barbados, the Barbadian culture. Like just tell it like it is like, this is what I see this is how I would like it to change. Let's see if we can make it better.
0: Got it. Got it. So when you went back to Florida as an assistant, um, there was a lot of success. And I may just remember, cause that was when I kind of started my career as a journalist and started following, you know, college swimming a little bit closer and seeing it. And obviously there'd been some success on the men's side at Florida with Ryan coming through the program and, all the things that he had achieved and the team had achieved as part of that. But the women's team really took off um, when you came back. Uh, What was clicking with that staff, with that team? Take us back um, to that great time in University of Florida Swimming.
1: I think what helped was that I was an athlete there. And not only was was I an athlete there, but I swam under Coach Troy, Coach Willoughby, Nessie, so they were familiar with me and I was familiar with them. Um, and I, I think that was a big help in terms of being able to communicate or understand the expectations, first of all, but also to kind of bridge the gap with any communicate, misunderstanding of communication that may have come up. Um, and I, I think that was probably a, a big help for me and maybe as a big help for me as a coach to communicate, especially to the women, but also to the men. Um, I enjoyed. I I loved working with both genders. It it was it was it was fun. I I enjoyed it, and it was an honor to be back to you at your, at my alma mater and back in Gainesville.
0: Yeah, I feel like you're touching on exactly what you said you needed to work on with being able to sh- not necessarily sugarcoat it, but just make sure that the communication is. You know, understood. It's not just said, it's understood. How did Coach Troy or Coach Wilby or Coach uh, Nesty communicate with their athletes? Because I bet you would describe them as upfront and honest too, probably, right?
1: Yeah. And they all three of them communicated differently, you know. And I think what was helpful for me as being a coach there was helping the athletes decipher their communication skills um you know and and it was fun they they were all three of them were all up front said what they were thinking um for me as an athlete it was refreshing but everyone's not like that like i had teammates on my team that did not appreciate that but i had a different experience to them i think i think it a lot of it is uh as a result of the lens that a person is looking through. And that lens is dependent on their past experience. Um, And so I think one of my strengths is identifying that what people's lens may be different and trying to communicate in such a way where they would understand based on the lens that they're looking through. And so because they each had different communication styles, some people would gravitate to one coach over another, which is absolutely fine. Um, but I, I think I was helpful in making sure that people understood who have understood what was being said, no matter who the coach was talking to them.
0: I love it. I love the, this side of coaching, which is, you know, not surprising knowing that you were looking to get into psychology and, and understanding you know, what activates the brain as much as what activates the muscles and everything else. Uh, Can we talk a little bit about the training side? And at this point, you've had, I'm assuming as an athlete, a wide range um, coming from Barbados to Trinidad to Florida, Mm -hmm. a wide range of training um, and probably differences in yardage. And you're a sprinter, but you were at Florida. So, like, what? I mean, talk to me about how you're training philosophy is forming if you can at this point at Florida after you know being at SCAD and then South Carolina and Florida what are you starting to recognize as things that work and and beliefs starting to form with your training philosophy
1: um I think I try a lot of the time I challenge my athletes a lot despite what events they swim Um, And a lot of the times I try to communicate whether I do it successfully, I'm not 100% sure. But I try to communicate with them that whatever they are trying to achieve physically, they have to get past whatever obstacles they have mentally. Because there's only so far physically they can be, their mental aspect of it is what's gonna get them to the next level, whatever that next level is. Um, And so from the training perspective, I think I, I received the most benefit while it was at Florida because I moved a lot around a lot in terms of, I didn't have a specific group that was for me. Um, So I, I, you know, on certain mornings, I'm helping Coach Troy with the, I am group. Um, The last few years there, I worked very closely with Anthony related to the freestyle and distance group. Coach Schwalbe was phenomenal with the backstrokers and the mid distance stroke group. And so, and, you know, working with Steve for the last little bit for sprint and um, Pete, he was with sprint and, and then my, the sprint coaches that I had with Schrader and Coach Jasselm. So there was a lot of, I had so many, like you're right. I had so many different types, styles of, Coaching. And I think right now for me, as it relates to my coaching as a head coach, to be honest, it was, it's just a matter of, I've just stolen a lot of ideas, <laughs> I've stolen a lot of ideas. And I've been fortunate enough to have been part of a lot of different training, training skills, training ideas, and just me, being able, I right now, I think for me, it's just making sure to pull these different ideas into the right spots. If you look at my whole training plan as puzzle, as a big puzzle, it's just making sure to fit the pieces in the right places dependent on what my athlete's needs are. Um, I think what I've improved on and I still need to improve on is meeting my athletes where they're at mentally um, and just recognizing that some people are not where I'm at mentally. Some people are not you know i i I see uh, sometimes with my athletes, I have a few athletes who I look at and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, she can be so good, like so good. But if they don't believe it in themselves, it doesn't it doesn't matter as much as what I'm seeing of them. Um, so I tell them all the time, like, I can tell you guys to do all these different things but I can't get up on the block and do it. I have no desire to get up on the block and do it. Um, But you guys are are the ones that have to get up on the block and do it. And I, for me, that is, um, that is probably the biggest challenge. I see this talent. I've seen, I've been fortunate enough, especially at Florida to see immense talent. And I've also seen the progression of that talent, you know, and trying to communicate to my swimmers, that the elite athletes that I have had the honor of coaching didn't necessarily come in as elite athletes. They progressed to that point. Like they weren't born into the world and were like, I'm an elite athlete. There was a progress, a progression that took place. And that progression, I think, for the most part, is a mental progression. Physically, they have what they have, but mentally being able to transition into that belief is even more important, I think.
0: So. so. How do you do that? How do you get them to that place where it's their confidence, right? It's their belief in their self and their confidence. I mean, what you were just describing to me, and maybe I'm misunderstanding through my own lens, is that your success as an athlete and early on with your coaching, seeing so success at Florida gives you a lens and a perspective that allows you to see things in swimmers, but they don't necessarily have that same lens. And so you have to – it doesn't matter if you know it's there and your lens has proven to be accurate. Sometimes you got to ditch that lens and find the one that they have so that you can understand their perspective. Um, but are there opportunities in practice to give them that confidence? Is there a consistent thing that you're trying to do um, on a weekly basis to give them confidence? Is there way, are there any ways mm.
1: that we can give them confidence? Oh, goodness. That's a great question. I think a lot of it to answer your question. I don't know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know answer right now.
1: Yeah, right now I try. Again, I I mentioned that I do a lot of stealing of ideas. And I was fortunate enough when we evacuated to Birmingham, the the entire athletic department moved to Birmingham. (laughs) It was anyway. And um, so I actually sat in one day on um, the golf team sports psychology lesson. And if you know anything about golf, like that is half the battle is the mental aspect of it, right? Actually, in my in my training in, in sports psychology, a lot of the research that was given was on golfers. So I sat in on one of their meetings with the sports psychologist that they have, and you know I, I I took in and wrote a lot of notes related to what he said he was advising the players to do. Um, and you know, it's just like it, it's just self-affirming things of, of that self-taught is really important, that I try to I, I tried to incorporate a lot in in uh, our practices, we do a lot of routine things, a lot of rehearsal of things at the meet. Um, I'm constantly on them about, I think the hardest part of my practices is the amount of mental focus that's needed. So I'm constantly streamline off the wall, stop breathing off the wall, breathe the, like I'm constantly on them about that. And so there's, there's very little opportunity for that mental disengagement Um, and I think that's a a big part of it too, is just ensuring that people are mentally engaged, but in, in terms of uh, getting them to see, um, I really don't know. It's just these little things that I try to do and I hope it gets through to them and just constantly just reminding them and, you know, something simple, for example, again, another thing that I Joel, if anyone likes Grey's Anatomy, there's a, there's a neurosurgeon on there does these, this power stance and she stands there for 30 seconds. That's something simple that I have the team do. At first, I thought it was all silly and goofy and whatever, but it really does work. And, um, and so it's just, I, I really just steal a lot of things and just try to incorporate it.
0: You can call it stealing and I think that's nice for a modesty standpoint, but most people just call it <laughs> learning. You're just learning and passing. That's right.
1: true. That's right? that's
0: true. And that's they all are. That's what this podcast is all about. So now hundreds of coaches are going to be stealing from you. Really just, <laughs> I, I completely agree. You can see the difference behind the blocks. That is a great like indication of who's going to have a good race depending if somebody's standing like this
1: yeah you no know,
0: or i mean and if you see somebody back there dancing or doing one of these big punches, yeah you know something's about to go down so yeah um yeah that's great example you know i definitely thought i've told my swimmers that you know you got to dance behind the blocks if that's something that gets them going then that gives them the confidence too and i think something as simple as a routine of of body language and position and an understanding of what that is. Yeah, definitely exactly. Helps confidence. So that was a good answer to, well, was a very tough question. I mean, I think that's, <laughs> that's, I mean, something that I uh, struggle with too. That's why I was, I was curious. So another thing that right now I'm learning a lot about is some of the struggles of being a mid-major um, college swimming program. And I think you alluded to um, some, some issues that you guys have had with, uh, being out of your pool for months, maybe longer than that. I mean, yeah. uh, can you just talk about? And not to. This is not any kind of complaint because obviously I, we both are very happy at mid majors, and there's some positives too. But it's different. There's some. There's some obstacles. Can you talk a little bit about some of the challenges at a mid major program like Tulane?
1: Um, I think that um, like for right now, the immediate thing is that we we actually haven't had our home pool since the start of COVID. So we've been going to different facilities to um, train I think probably our divers have a harder time than our swimmers because for swimming all we need is a pool like just get us in a pool we can we can make it happen now it's not ideal because we have to travel to these different facilities but Tulane's been nice enough to provide travel to these places so the girls haven't had to drive their own cars there or anything that we have a bus that takes us to where we need to go to. Um, but it's tough having to make those, those trips to the different facilities that we go to. Um, and I, and I think probably a a big part of it is just the budget side of it. You know, like you, for me, I'm a, I'm a believer in you, you take what you've got and you make the best of it. Um, But it also means that I have to be very careful as to what I use it towards, making sure what I use it towards is significantly important. um, And it's the best thing that we need at the time, you know, Um, as opposed to a want, you need to make sure you figure out what your needs are, not necessarily what you want. Um, So there's not a luxury to be, oh, I think this will be a good, good idea get it, and then you don't use it for months and months and months, you know. Um, I think recruiting, it it makes recruiting a little bit tougher, because I can't bring in, like, again, I have to be very specific as to who I'm bringing in for recruiting trips. And um, I can't bring in juniors as easily as I would want to. Um, so I think those are the main the biggest things that is is toughest for for me right now um but we we try to make do as best as we can i think i you know for the other smaller things of like you know t-shirts and shoes and i i think our athletes get plenty of that i don't think they need any more of that by any stretch of the imagination they are well provided um, Tulane does a really good job from the mental health perspective, which obviously, if you can tell from this podcast, that part is very important to me. Um, and and so we're we're trying to make games. We probably need a little bit more help from like nutrition side of it. Um, but you know, we're trying I'm trying to make the best of the situation that I'm given, you know?
0: Yeah, and you already touched on a couple of them. I mean, the mental side of things has benefited from some of the small school atmosphere and a mid-major type program has some of those smaller and more intimate feelings too. And what other kind of, what are what things are you selling when you're talking to a recruit about the positives?
1: Um, what's awesome is all the athletes from all different sports are, are pretty close. You know, like they, they know each other, they support each other. You know that I think that is just definitely a very big familial feel to the whole thing, um, and so I think that's a big thing. I I mean, even I'm familiar with some of the athletes. Um, I I the, the good thing is too that as coaches we interact a lot with each other about different things. You know, I talk about feeling things like <laughs> you say it's learning I say it's feeling <laughs> but I, I I am able to talk to a lot of other sports easily about what they do like I mentioned I sat in on the golf uh, meeting with the sports psychologist um, so that's really awesome but I think the biggest from the athlete perspective I think that feeling of just part of a family and knowing other sports other athletes from other sports is is a big thing
0: awesome well uh I appreciate the perspective hopefully it opens up um you know your perspective and a little glimpse into you know you and your background for anybody who's interested in Tulane I think it sounds like a lot of positive things and especially with you at the helm you know you guys have had success. Um, I guess I was going to kind of close it out, but I did have one other question this year with all the adversity, I mean, and I didn't follow all that closely, but it was one of if not the most successful year that you've had there still right. Oh yeah. Highest finish in the American athletic conference that you guys have had. I mean, how did you guys keep the focus on, on progress through all of this adversity this season?
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, part of that mental aspect of it, we've been, for the past few years, we've been talking about resilience. Um, so I, I don't know if you knew, but to, I had breast cancer two years ago. So my second year as head coach, that second year was me battling breast cancer. So my juniors and my seniors, they had watched me experience that. So we had talked a lot about Resilience has been a common theme and being able to bounce back from adversity. And, and it just so happened it went from my breast cancer treatment and that whole thing lasted the whole year. Um, and then we went to COVID and then we went to Hargate. <laughs> like it, it, we, we just had to bounce back a lot of the time. And so my juniors and seniors had seen had gone through that experience with me um, and obviously experience all the other experience. And, and so I've been constantly harping on, you know, life sucks. Things are always going to happen. We have to just bounce back. Yes, we don't have a pool, but we've got to keep pushing forward. We've got to keep working towards our goal, stay focused. Um, And so to credit to our leaders, our, um, our seniors, you know, they kept that focus. They kept, the team grounded they kept them moving in the direction of being strong being you know and, and and i'm big on that i'm big on the adversity side and so i think me going through breast cancer kind of started this this experience and and to the credit of the the women on the team they were able to kind of keep pushing through, and but it was hard, you know, having to live in a completely different city because of a hurricane. Like that's hard, and and there's no, and it was hard for me also from a mental health perspective. But um, we we harp a lot on being resilient. We harped a lot on being courageous. Um, those are the two things that we were working a lot on this year. And so I think to their credit, that's kind of where how the how it ended up for strength the end through, of the year
0: strength through struggle strength yeah. through struggle. it's pretty pretty miraculous what you guys were able to achieve what you ladies were able to achieve um throughout this year thank and you sometimes that strength hits a you know a good luck stretch where you don't have quite as much next season maybe into your home pool for the whole year i don't know yeah you know, yep. some kind of stability like that and then things really take off so uh, hopefully that's what's going to happen for you going into the future and uh, yeah I really appreciate getting the chance to get to know you a little bit better and I'm sure thank a lot you. of you as will too um, Leah thank you for making time and, and best of luck going forward
1: thank you for having me I really appreciate it you've been listening to the swim Swam podcast stay tuned for new episodes every week